0: Um, anybody getting like 6 30 p.m roll around and you're like yawning and you're like man what time is it is it time for bed uh, i love I said this to my wife i'm like what time is it is it time for bed and it was 6 30 p.m and um the days kind of like close in it gets darker earlier your body just thinks it's late and it's time for either that or i'm just getting old one or those might be coinciding at the same time um but as as the dark uh as the days get shorter and the darkness kind of sets in. um, uh, This is appropriate, I think. It's an appropriate season for us, because in some ways it's a metaphor for this season that we are entering into of Advent. Um, Advent really comes from the Latin word adventus, meaning a coming or an arrival. Um, I'm just curious, how many of you, maybe if you grew up in church, I know there's probably a lot of different backgrounds here. Did anybody come from a more like kind of liturgical background? Uh, where we celebrated kind of church calendar a little more strictly, like from an Advent, like you celebrated Advent kind of properly, anybody? A couple, a couple folks. I, most of you aren't raising your hand, I'm with you. I, I, I came from kind of what we call low church background. So I didn't come from high church that celebrated a strict liturgy and calendar. Um, and so I really didn't know much about Advent. I had, I had heard that term, you know, periodically here and there, but I didn't really know what it meant. Until really I I became a pastor and we started to uh, grow in that and and celebrate that more. Um, We just kind of went straight to Christmas. Christmas was kind of a season and we celebrated the birth of Christ, the coming of Christ. Um, But there wasn't this kind of lead up to that of Advent. Um, And the church for a long time has kind of celebrated this season of Advent a little more formally. Um, It's the four weeks, the four Sundays leading up to Christmas. Um, in anticipation of uh, not just Christmas as a, as a holiday, but celebrating the birth and the coming uh, of Christ. And I think we miss something if we do just skip straight to the celebration of Christmas. Um, we want to celebrate that. We've decorated that. Uh, I've seen some of you wearing festive sweaters already. All of that. It's great. It's amazing. We want to embrace that. All that comes with that. But there's something that I think we miss if we just skip straight to that, And we don't um, walk the path in the shadows uh, leading into the light of Christmas. Because the light of Christmas does shine brighter when we acknowledge the shadows of night before the breaking of dawn. Uh, The Bible describes Jesus' birth as a light breaking into darkness. In in many ways, Advent is is what Advent is to Christmas is similar to what Lent is to Easter. There's a period of, of kind of preparation. Um, of acknowledging uh, the pain, the darkness in the world before we get to the good news. The good news is good news because there is bad news. And most of our life sometimes feels like we're living in the bad news of that. And so Advent, the season of Advent, it symbolizes really the situation of of the church in these last days, as the Bible calls it. That's what we're living in, these last days. We're anticipating um, Christ to come again. And as God's people wait for the return of Christ in glory to consummate his eternal kingdom, this is this season of waiting. The church is in a similar situation to Israel. Um, At the end of the Old Testament, uh, the people of God are in exile. They're waiting. They're hoping in prayerful expectation for the coming of this promised Messiah who the prophets foretold would come to rescue their people, to set their people free once again. Israel is looking back to God's past, his gracious actions on their behalf, and and specifically looking back to the actions that we're studying now. The exodus of how God rescues his people out of 400 years of slavery in Egypt, and he leads them into the promised land. And now Israel in exile, entering into this other 400 period of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament, is longing and waiting for their rescuer once again. They're looking back to the promises that God fulfilled uh, in rescuing his people from Egypt. And they're looking forward once again to this advent of the Messiah, this coming, this arrival of the Messiah. And in the same way, we, the church now, during Advent, we look back to Christ's coming in celebration, um, the birth of Christ and all of his, his work of that, while at the same time looking forward in eager anticipation to the coming of Christ's kingdom when he returns for his people once again. And it's in this light, um, my favorite Advent hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. It perfectly represents the church cry during this Advent season. The opening lines say, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom, rescue captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here. There's this mourning as we're in exile. There's this longing expectation for God to come among his people once again. But it says, until the Son of God appears, rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. There is a mourning while we're in exile. Um, There is a darkness that is here. But Christ will come and put death's dark shadows to flight once again. And in that time, we will be able to rejoice 400 years of slavery in Egypt, 400 years of silence between the Old and the New Testament. I don't know about you, but as we've studied of Exodus and in those times, I always wonder, sometimes it's easy for us to think, oh, I wonder what it would have been like to be a part of, of God's people, seeing all these uh, mirac- uh, miraculous, powerful uh, works of God to cross through the Red Sea, all of those things. But I often think, what, would, what was it like to live during the 400 years before Moses showed up. What if you were part of those people that were born into slavery, lived your whole life in slavery, and died still in slavery? What about the people that are born and live through this silence of the Old Testament and the New Testament? The people who don't get to see the coming of the Messiah, spending their whole life in that way. I wonder how I would have lived as a believer in Yahweh then. Now, in some ways, maybe we aren't. There are some similarities there. We are living in between this first advent of Christ. We know that he has come. We know that he he was born. He lived this sinless life. He died on our behalf. He rose. He ascended into heaven. And now we're born all after that. We're waiting. We're in this in-between period of time. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says it this way, he says, the celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, and who look forward to something greater to come. I wonder if that, if that describes uh, you, maybe even this morning. Maybe you've come here this morning, maybe you're joining us online this morning, troubled in soul, knowing yourself to be imperfect. Imperfect. Looking forward to something greater to come. It's this reflection of violence and injustice and evil in the world that causes us to cry out to God to make things right, just as His people cried out while they were in exile, while they were in slavery, to put death's dark shadows to flight. And our exile in the present, in this waiting, it makes us look forward to our future exodus once again, where Christ will return and our own sinfulness our own need for grace. It leads us to pray to the Holy Spirit to renew his work in conforming us into the image of his son. I think this year, 2020, of all recent years, um, should be the easiest of recent years for us to feel a sense of longing, a sense of waiting, the sheer weight of unmet expectations, a grief That we all have been experiencing, that not all is right in the world, and that there is no normal to go back to. In many ways, maybe this pandemic is a grace to us as followers of Jesus. If we let it, if we allow it to be, our ultimate hope in riding the world is not gonna be a vaccine. Our ultimate hope is the return of Christ Jesus again who will heal the world not only of viruses but of all manner of death and disease caused by our rebellion and sin against God himself. We join with all creation that has been groaning as it feels the weight and the effects of sin. And this is what Advent is. It's this hopeful longing. It's this watchful expectation of the fulfillment of that promise that Christ has come, that Christ will come again. And the first time he came as a stranger, as a baby in weakness, rejected, despised by his own, even missed by most. But the next time, the final time he comes, church, no one will miss his coming. He will come as king, as judge, and ruler of all, where every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. We know more now in those 400, than, the, than in the 400-year period. We know for whom we're waiting. We know what we are waiting for. We have the advantage of vantage. Our vantage point is different, isn't it? We know that Christ has come. We are the recipients not only of his grace through his death and resurrection, but he also gives us the gift of his spirit, his presence among us. And so we don't wait in exile alone. We wait with the presence of God among us, we can look back to all of the Old Testament promises fulfilled in the first coming of Christ. We look back to the testimony of the New Testament saints and his faithfulness to them. Which leads us then really to our teaching text. Um, I'm not sure what happened there. It was probably my fault. Um, But let me read uh, the teaching, the actual teaching text. That was, what was read is appropriate because it was about waiting and and not uh, falling asleep. But let me read... uh, Mark 13, the end of Mark 13 um, for us. This is what Jesus says. He says, but concerning that day or that hour, that is the hour that he will return again, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the father. Be on guard, be awake, for you do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. He says, this is what the church is like in this moment. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake, stay awake. So he commands us to stay awake and he commands us to keep watch. I've entitled the sermon this morning, Watching in the Dark, because that's what we are meant to do. We're meant to be watching for something in this darkness, in this time, um, before the the dawning of light breaks once again. Now, Jesus uses this parable. Um, This is one of his crisis kind of parables. There's a crisis uh, that is uh, happening and there's a response to that. But notice, uh, let me just summarize this parable for us. There's a great household. And in this great household, there's many members, there's many servants, many family members and servants. There's a master who's established the household and it's because of the master establishing it and uh, that master giving its purpose that it exists in the first place. So those that are a part of this household are there because the master has invited them in or has has brought them into his family um, and he's given them something to do. He's given them purpose. He's given each of them their place and he's left them as he's gone on this journey With a promise to return but while he's gone he's left them each with their own work and he's ordered them to stay awake and to watch lest he come back and find them not about their work or he's found them asleep and the expectation of his return is the animating force of their work it's the it's the thing that animates their watchfulness even in the dark the state of readiness of this household is maintained by each doing their work with vigilance, with vigilance. We, that word that we use for vigil literally means staying awake when you're supposed to be asleep. When most people are asleep, when most people are slumber, when most people uh, have kind of checked out, we hold vigil with vigilance in staying awake. Usually that means around prayer um, as well. And so Advent, this time, this season of the life of the church, it's not the same. We don't keep time the same way the world keeps time. Our calendar is different than the rest of the world. And I don't mean necessarily in a strict liturgical calendar sense. I mean our internal clock as believers, the way that we are measuring time in our existence and purpose on this earth is different, vastly different, fundamentally different from the world. And it's easy, it's easy maybe to start to have that same mindset that the world has. Listen, you say you follow this Jesus, he's going to come back, but it's been 2,000 years. That's a long time for someone to go away on a trip. Uh, He's probably not coming back. You've probably been duped. Something's happened to him. He's not returning. You can probably stop doing whatever he told you to do and do whatever you want to do but Advent reminds us that the hands on the clock are later than we think. He could return at any moment, and how he finds us, the state that he finds us in in, in, his, in his moment of return is, is important. We must be watching, waiting, prepared for his return. It's the reason we are a part of his household. To stay awake means to not be led astray, to not be uh, alarmed. It means to be on guard, to endure to the end, as the scriptures would say. But that's not an easy task, is it? How easy it is to fall asleep spiritually. And again, now we're not talking about like you can't actually sleep. We'll see that sleep is a gift from God. So we're not talking about physical sleep. Uh, you need to sleep or you will physically die. So we're, we're talking about in a spiritual state of readiness, We're not to to fall asleep. We're not to fall away uh, spiritually. We're to be alert. We're to be on guard. We're to be uh, perceptive. How easy it is, though, to become absorbed by the ways of the world that sometimes we can even be alarmed that God's way could be so incredibly contrary to our own at times. How easy it is to drop our guard, and before we know it, certain activities and responsibilities have taken over our life so that the master wouldn't recognize it as being about the work that he left us with, about being a part of his household of faith. How easy it is to be distracted, so absorbed, so caught up in other things that we don't endure to the end. And so Jesus's command is to stay awake. The Lord will come, and the life of the church is lived in the space between these two advents of Jesus. And so, um, I want to just look at kind of two main headings with a few underneath, real quick. Why why do we why do we watch? Why do we watch for him um, again? Um, let me give us uh, four reasons why that we can see. This. There's more, but for sake of time today, one it's the actual evidence of knowing and being known by God. Our, our watchfulness for him to come again is evidence that we are a part of this household of faith. Jesus tells a similar uh, parable in Matthew 25. Um, And if you remember, uh, there's these uh, uh, 10 virgins and and they're waiting for the bridegroom to come, to return. And five of them have brought um, enough oil for their lamp uh, if, if it goes into the night and five didn't. And what happens? They all fall asleep. And then they hear, uh, the master, the, the, the bridegroom is coming. The master is returning. And so they come and they, they light their lamps, but five of them don't have enough oil. They can't light their lamps. And they say to the others, hey, we share your oil. And they're like, no, we won't have enough for when he comes, you need to go and buy oil. And Jesus says in Matthew 25, and while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready, those who were prepared, those who were watching, went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was shut. Afterwards, the other virgins came saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, you do not know neither the day nor the hour. Being ready, watching and waiting in expectation for the coming of the bridegroom is evidence of being known by the bridegroom, by the master, for the ones who were known by him, his arrival was their priority. They were prepared ahead of time for it. They had planned for it. They had made provision not to, meet, uh, not to miss it. They had organized their life around this event. Um, we celebrated the Crest's wedding. Um, for those of you that have uh, been married, planning for a wedding um, is kind of evidence uh, that you're kind of into the person. Imagine like uh, oh yeah we're getting married and um, you know you didn't really plan that much for it um, you didn't bother setting an alarm or showering or shaved and maybe you were kind of late and you just kind of rolled up uh, you know to 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 the venue um, in in just normal kind of clothes um, I think your your bride or, or or your your groom would probably have second thoughts and be like I don't know if this is the person that I thought I was wanting to marry all of the preparation that goes into a wedding. No, you set your alarm. You have special clothes. You probably have them pressed and ironed. You shower, you shave, you prepare, you invite guests. Um, There's, well, usually you invite guests, um, uh, you know, uh, on normal circumstances. All the preparation that goes into these special days. Why? Because this is the person that you are joining your life to So it's this evidence of, of knowing and being known by God. Secondly, there's, um, we're, we're, uh, we're told that there's, we are blessed and rewarded if we do. In Luke 12, Jesus says, stay dressed for action. Keep your lamps burning. You'll see the similar theme um, throughout these stories that he's telling throughout the gospels. And he says, and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at the table, and he will come and serve them. This is incredible. The master comes home, and, and because they've been prepared, because they've been waiting and watching and ready to receive him, he says, you know what? Now it's my turn. You, you sit at the table. I'm going to put on the clothes of a servant, and I'm going to serve you It says, if he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. into. You must also be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And so there's a blessing. There's a reward for those of us that are are ready and prepared and anticipation Thirdly, it's a family trait. It's who we are. It's it's because we're a part of this household. 1 Thessalonians 5, 4 and 6, he says, But you are not in darkness, brothers, brothers and sisters, those who are part of this family, for that day to surprise, um, uh, for you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of light, children of the day we are not of the light or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober or be watchful. Paul's like literally saying, listen, you are not like other people anymore. The spirit of God has come into your life, has transformed you into a new creation. And part of the nature of that new creation is not people who fall away, who get distracted, who get absorbed, who fall asleep spiritually in that sense, but who are awake, who are sober-minded, who are about the work that the master has left us with. Fourthly then, on why we watch, it produces hope and confidence in us. You would, you would almost think that this apocalyptic kind of uh, language, literature um, would, uh, would produce despair or fear in us. But for the people of God, it's not. It produces hope and confidence. Um, I think most of us, thankfully and gratefully, um, we live our lives pretty peacefully. Um, sometimes we can even take that for granted. Um, most of the world... Um, has had to live with wars and fighting on their own land, in their own farm, you know, farmlands, and, and in their own streets and in their own neighborhoods. That's how most of the world still experiences those things today. Um, we, don't, we haven't experienced that in a long, long, long time. We can kind of take that for granted. We just live in a kind of peaceful, normal kind of uh, rhythms of our life. And so apocalyptic language can sound fearful to us, but if you were to live your life as most of the world has had to do, as most of the world still does, with this kind of fear of violence um, uh, on your street and in your life, um, the good news of a rescuer coming to end those things is good news. We hear um, sometimes the Lord coming and ending kind of uh, this period of time as we know it is bad news because it disrupts all the things that we want to be about. This is what Jesus writes to the churches, um, symbolic even of us uh, today that we can learn from in Revelation. He writes to them and he says this in, uh, in Revelation 3. He says, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. That is Jesus himself. He says, I know your tribulation and your poverty, and the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, that you're going to have tribulation. There's going to be suffering and tribulation. He says, be faithful, even unto death for some of you. And I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. We shouldn't be surprised if our faith, we shouldn't be surprised if, if watching and not falling asleep costs us something. Jesus promised that it would. And it's the reason why some people stop watching. It's the reason why some people just turn off the lights and go to bed spiritually. It costs too much. There's a cost to pay. There's much more pleasurable and comfortable, it's much more pleasurable and comfortable to sleep than it is to stay awake. But for those who are suffering, the hope that that suffering will come to an end, the promise that it will come to an end, that even death itself won't have the final say, offers hope and a confidence. But it cuts both ways. For those who aren't watchful, who aren't in in eager anticipation of, of, of Jesus coming again being good news, The confidence cuts the other way. There's another church that Jesus writes to in Sardis, and he says this I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you're dead. And what's his command to this church? Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know what hour I will come against you. The church of Sardis were sleepwalkers. They had the appearance of being awake. They had an appearance of being watchful, and yet really they were spiritually dead. They were asleep, and Jesus's command is to to wake up, to revive before it's too late. And so we watch. These are the reasons why we watch. Let me, um, as we draw our time to a close, give us a couple practical ways of how we do that then. Like, well, what does that mean? What does it mean to be watchful? What does it mean to not fall asleep? So how we watch, the first way we do it is we do it prayerfully. We watch prayerfully. Ephesians 6.18, Paul says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints. The reality is we can't do this on our own. Um, and, and, and God knows that. Notice in this, it's we're praying at all times in the Spirit. It's the Spirit that is empowering us and animating us, and we're making supplication for all the saints. We're, we're encouraging, we're praying for one another that we would not fall asleep, that we would be wakeful, and so it's in the power of the Spirit. We'll talk more about that in a moment. We pray for others. Others are praying for, for us. We're encouraging one another in our prayers together, as we strengthen each other in our prayers. Prayer is one of the main uh, weapons of warfare that we've been given to fight these spiritual battles, to stay spiritually awake. Jesus himself often strengthened himself through prayer with communing with his father. He would draw away in these times to pray. Here's, Here's the advantage that we have in this situation. The master may be gone physically, but you can still call him on the phone. Uh, my wife and I sometimes will leave and we'll leave our children um, with my eldest daughter. Um, and we'll say, listen, we're just down the street. If you need anything, just call, just call us and and we can, we can come back. Um, we're right, we're right around the corner. And in the same way, the master from the house is gone, but he's left us a way to communicate. He's given us his spirit and through prayer, we can still commune with him. Um, the spiritual formation team, I know some of the elders, we've been discussing uh, this very thing. We want to develop this more in us as a body, this, to develop a spiritual hunger. And prayer in scripture is a key part of that. We want to help us abide with Christ um, to stay awake. And so we, uh, we watch prayerfully. Secondly, we watch thankfully in Colossians 4 and even in the verse we just read. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And so we watch, um, thankfully, with gratitude. Um, we just celebrated Thanksgiving. What a, a, what a great holiday. Um, as Christians, Thanksgiving um, is, is one of the holidays that we should lead out by an example um, with all the time. Um, gratitude buffers us from this kind of falling asleep spiritually. We tend to take things for granted. We don't give God credit for the things that he has given us. We tend to think that we're doing life on our own. What we have is what we've made of ourselves. Um, it's, 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 it's my hard work. It's my education. It's my things that have allowed me to get to a place to provide these things for myself and my family, not knowing that all of those things um, were a gift from God to begin with. And so we watch, but we watch with gratitude, with thankful hearts. Thirdly, then we watch humbly. First Peter 5, humble yourselves, therefore under the mighty hand of God, So at the proper time, he may exalt you. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Notice he doesn't say just don't be anxious, but when we have anxieties, we're to give them to the Lord because he cares for us. Be sober-minded. Here's our word. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. We watch. We watch with humility. When those anxieties bubble up, we bring them to him, casting them on the Lord because he cares for us. This isn't a a watchfulness. Well, the master's out of the house, so I just have to like buck up in my own strength until he comes back again. No, we we do this humbly. We resist firm in our faith. But even that resistance comes from the Lord, even through our suffering. What does it say? It's the God of all grace. He himself will restore, he will confirm, he will strengthen and establish you. And so we watch with humility. It's the master's house. He is the one who has established it. He is the one who has given us purpose and it's him upon his return who will find us, hopefully firm in our faith, who will restore and strengthen and establish us. Fourthly, we we watch faithfully. Faithfully, when Jesus tells this similar parable in Luke, Peter asked him the question, "Lord, are you telling us this parable for all of us?" And Jesus answered this. He says, "Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master has set over his house- household to give him their portion? Blessed is a servant whom his master will find doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions." But if that servant says to himself, "My master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk," the master of that servant will come home on a day when he does not expect him at an hour that he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And the servant who knew his master's will, but did not get ready or act according to his will, will receive a severe punishment. We're to serve with faithfulness. We're to be faithful to what God has called us to. Notice he says to be unfaithful is to lose confidence that the master's coming back, that he's delayed. I've got time. I can go about my life in a way contrary to, to what he has set out for me. I can treat people ill. I can be selfish, gluttonous, get drunk, live for myself essentially. These are categories of living apart from the spirit of God. You know, in disobedience to him. And he says, when the master comes and finds us that way, we will be put with the unfaithful and not the faithful. And so to be faithful, the only way to be faithful is to be faithful in each moment. Is to be consistently faithful, to abide, to keep vigil. And the Lord has given us ways to do that. These rhythms of grace. One of them is what you're doing now. We've assembled together in person to be reminded of the goodness and grace of God. It keeps us watchful to be here, to be reminded once again, to go out this week together to live for him. We celebrate communion, which we'll do in a moment, to remember what Christ has done on our behalf. We celebrated a baptism last week, this ritual of, 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 uh, as a witness uh, to the watching community. We practice Sabbath. We have prayer, obedience. We use our gifts Um, in in the household. We uh, are generous to the household of faith, to the poor, the widow, the orphan. We do justice. We walk humbly with our God. All of these are means of grace to watch in the dark, to keep the light burning. The light within you is spirit of Christ. And then finally and lastly, we watch dependently. We watch dependently. The psalmist knew this. He uses the same language. Listen to what he says in Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. We can go about all the work in the house, but unless the Lord is the one who has set us on that task and will return, it's all for nothing. He says, unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. And so we can stay awake and we can watch, but if it's in our own strength, if it's not independence of the Lord, knowing that it's the Lord who ultimately builds the house, it's the Lord who overwatches our watching It's all in vain. He says, It's in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. And so there's a watchfulness in the night, spiritually, but it's a restful, you can like sleep while staying awake. Do you know what I mean? Like spiritually, we're awake, we're keeping vigil, but there's a rest that comes with that, knowing that ultimately we're depending on the Lord. It's the Lord who preserves his own to the end. And so be faithful to that as the Lord keeps us, as the Lord encourages us. This is a challenging year. It's it's an easy year to fall asleep. It's an easy year to give up hope. It's an easy year to just kind of uh, distract ourselves to death. It's an easy year to kind of forget, in the midst of, of unexpected, expecta- uh, unmet expectations of grief, of sorrow, that the Lord is still sovereign. He is still in control. And just like those people that had to live through the 400 years, their hope is that Jesus would keep His promise, that Yahweh would keep His promise. And so I want to encourage you this morning as we begin the season of Advent, to keep vigil, to keep hope. Christ has come and Christ will come again. We're gonna celebrate that promise together um, even now um, through a ritual that Jesus himself uh, has given to us um, to help us keep watch, to help us remember, to help us not forget. And so if you have your elements with you, Um, this bread and and juice, bread and wine. Jesus knows uh, that we are a forgetful people as uh, as we'll study through Exodus. It doesn't take long for us to forget. It doesn't take long even in light of evidence of the power of God for us to forget those things. And so this is a way that we remind ourselves of what Christ has done on our behalf. His body broken for you. His blood broken shed for you. And so Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's see. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes and he will come. Let's drink. Father, forgive us for the times where um, we lose sight of the grand reality of, of the cosmos. Um, that you have called us into a household of faith, that you have gifted each of us um, with abilities and talents, that you've set us on a task um, to be about until you return again. And Father, as we enter into this season of remembering your first coming, um, Father, it is with great longing and expectation and even heavy hearts at times, even through sorrowful tears and grief, even through pandemics that ruin all of our expectations of what life is meant to be like. In, in the midst of all of this uh, darkness, the dawn is breaking. And so we, your people with hope and confidence, again this morning, declare... And we proclaim and we pray Maranatha Lord come come quickly meet your people once again we thankful we're thankful this morning that your spirit is among us even now and that you have not left us as orphans you have not left us alone but you have left us with a helper a guarantee a deposit of your return and your coming once again father may we may you strengthen us to live in light of that Um, Even today, even this week, may we not forget. May we keep the lamp burning. May we be watchful in the dark. We ask this uh, by your strength. Amen.